welcome to episode 159 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. This show was recorded on Sunday, May the 7th, 2017. The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast is brought to you by Jensen USA, where you'll always find a great selection of products at amazing prices with unparalleled customer service. For more information, just go to jensenusa.com slash the spokesman. And now for a limited time, new customers to Jensen USA who are referred by the spokesman get 10% off one item. Simply enter the spokesman, no spaces, at checkout. Hey everybody, it's David from the Fredcast Cycling Podcast at thefredcast.com. I'm the host and producer of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast. For show notes, links, and other information, simply go to our website at the hyphen spokesman.com. And now, here are the spokesmen. Hi there, you've tuned in to the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. I'm Colton Reed of bikebiz.com. And because the regular guests are off doing some interesting things, Jim, for instance, is hiking in the Grand Canyon right now, which is a pretty good excuse, this will be a spokesman special. I'm going to splice together two interviews, one with birthday boy Xavier Bryce, the CEO of Sustrans, and the other with Dominic Geyer of Specialized. Dom is normally based in Switzerland, where Specialized develops its turbo e-bike range, but I got to talk to him in Dusseldorf the other day, where Specialized has opened a pop-up store in readiness for the Tour de France Grand Depart in July. Uh, before that shop is merchandised with road bikes, it's currently devoted to the Vardo Urban e-bike, which had its press launch in Dusseldorf. But first, let's hear from Xavier, who took over at the helm of Sustrans last year. Sustrans stands for Sustainable Transport and is the UK charity in charge of the National Cycle Network. Sustrans was founded 40 years ago and sprang from cycle advocacy group Cyclebag, the letters of which stand for Channel Your Calf and Leg Energy Bicycle Action Group. Well, first off, Xavier, happy birthday. Thank you. I assume that's for Sustrans rather than for me. <laughs> yes. I mean, 40 years in, in cycling, that's that's going some. It is, isn't it? I mean, it must make us, I mean, we're not, we're not as old as the venerable winged wheel, um, be, be it CTC or Cycling UK, um, but we have been going for some time. And, um, and I think we've achieved a lot in that time as well. And um, it is with some, uh, yeah, it feels quite an honour to be only the third chief exec in those 40 years. Quite. Now, you've come from a, a cycling background or you've come from uh, Transport for London where you were doing stuff with, with cycling. So just tell us exactly what you were doing before you got the job at Sustrans. Yeah, so I, I did a number of things at Transport for London, um, but probably the most relevant is the work I did um, back in 2007 to work on the new, the new cycling, a new cycling strategy for London. Um, and that was look at a new cycling and walking strategy. And that was looking at, um, given the, the success that there'd been to date, what, what was needed next in order to continue and indeed accelerate the growth in cycling and walking across London. And that led to the first generation of the Cycle Superhighways. It proposed Cycle Hire 
And it proposed um, also focusing spend with willing boroughs to do whole area treatments. So in many ways, a sort of, you know, arguably a precursor to the type of mini Holland treatment that we've seen work so effectively in Walton Forest. Um, but it was it was that, it was the first articulation of those cycle superhighways as well. And it was it was really looking at focusing investment to to deliver big change. So how does that translate across to what you're doing with Sustrans? And because people around the certainly the UK will be thinking, well, hang on. If, if you were doing that kind of work for transport for London, we want that kind of stuff. You know, we want cycling superhighways. We want mini Hollands all over the UK. Can you please deliver that? Is uh, How can you uh, meet that kind of desire that you know is out there from people? So I suppose it's, it's stating the obvious to say that working within Transport for London was a very different matter to working with a, with, with, with a charity, clearly. Um, but I think that one thing that's common across those is that all of those three things I referred to were founded on the idea that in order to generate, to generate a significant change, you couldn't just put down infrastructure, you couldn't just do behaviour change. Ideally, what you wanted to do was bring together infrastructure, behaviour change and the local community. Um, and I used to have a slide that I used to illustrate that, an image which was of, um, of the London Overground, which at the time was being rebranded the old North London line. And the advertising being used by TfL was of a, of a Hornby railway set. Mm-hmm. So when people talk about how do we get people using the railway, they don't say, what do you want? Do you want the stations? Do you want the train? Do you want the ticket office? You need all aspects of that, and for me, it's a similar thing when you're when you're looking to get people cycling. You need the whole thing, which is why, as initially scoped, the cycle superhighways included cycle parking, workplace parking, as well as home parking. And I think the one thing that Sustrans has is the ability to bring to bear expertise in infrastructure, expertise in behaviour change, and expertise in community in community involvement. And many of our best best projects encompass those three as well. What are your hopes? and perhaps even desires uh, going forward for the, well, CWIS, for the cycling and walking investment strategy, which was which was relatively recently announced. It was, wasn't it? So I think the CWIS marks, does mark a step change in terms of attitude towards cycling and walking at central government. There's a statutory obligation to produce it. And that absolutely has to be welcomed. My hope and my, you know, what, what I hope for now is that it is built upon and it is used to, to help unleash further investment and focus on walking and cycling at a national level, but also increasingly at a local level through, as devolution continues, that's ever more important. And obviously we've got the election of the um, Metro mayors and the combined authorities um, coming up. So it just shows how power is power is shifting from the centre to the local and the regions. And that's increasingly where we, where, where, we, where we need to see political will and action. And I know you've written yourself about the mayor in Leicester and what's been done there. And I think, again, going back to that London example, what that shows is that is that with dedicated political commitment and leadership, and of course funding, but especially that political leadership, then a hell of a lot can be achieved. That's a big ask, given the current crop of politicians, though, isn't it? Oh, you asked me for my hopes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you asked me for my hopes. Um, I think it is a big ask, but on the other hand, 
Um, on the other hand, it's 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 not that out of the question. I think that that if you look at where cycling is now, and let's focus on cycling, um, you know, 20 years ago, so you know, half of Sustram's lifetime, cycling was something of a fringe activity. Um, it really was not at all mainstream. I mean, even 10 years ago, back to the work I did in London, I remember a conversation with um, with the then chief exec of LCC, who was saying, just wouldn't it be great to see images of like normal people and indeed glamorous people cycling on adverts or cycling on EastEnders? Well, all of that is now, you know, has come to pass. Cycling is far more mainstream. Um, it's not it's not everywhere. And um, it's by no means where we'd like to see it. But it is moved out of the shadows, I'd argue. Um, and, you know, there has been a resurgence in cycling. Um, and and I think so I think that there's an upward trend um, and it does take time. It takes time to affect change. It took time in Amsterdam and the Netherlands. It took time in Copenhagen. This isn't something that happens overnight. Back to that point about sustained political leadership. And it's about finding the individuals, the authorities that want to change and want to, want to push the agenda forwards. So find the ones that are you're pushing on an open door, the local authorities and the, the local uh, business organisations where a lot of this stuff is, is devolved to. I think there's a lot to be said for working with the willing, absolutely, because I think that, that you know, back to my earlier point, political leadership, I think, is as important as, as funding. Um, you tend to need the two to go together um, because it's that political leadership that can really can really make a difference. And obviously, that's something that we can influence and that can be influenced in many ways. Um, but I think it can still come down to that individual political leadership. How difficult is it? This is a tough question for you. Uh, how difficult is it for Sustrans? And I would ask the same question to, to organisations like Cycling UK, which, which suffer from the same sort of uh, being in a cleft stick. Y- you want to encourage the government to give cycling more money, put more commitment in. But at the same time, you've also got to at times criticise government for not putting in enough. So wh- where, how do you, where's the balancing line for you as a, as a CEO of Sustrans? How do you cope with your desires are far greater than you, you know what you're going to actually get? Yeah. So it, it's a good question, and it's it's a as you say it's a balancing act, and it's a difficult path to tread because it's not it's not one where the tightrope is necessarily led out in front of you to balance along. So um, it becomes I think it's it's one of those things about looking to encourage and to applaud when progress is made, um, and I don't think it's you know one can critique everything that happens or bemoan the fact that there's not enough funding as, as we'd like. But I think it's also important to to celebrate success and also to, to encourage good things like the publication of a CWIS, which has to be welcomed. It's a statutory obligation. It's been done. Um, it was it's it's been put put out before the, before the election started, before PERDA. That's something to be welcomed. Um, I don't think there's a magic answer as to how exactly to tread that tightrope. Uh, I think it. I'm I'm certainly aware, as, as clearly you are, of of that of that ever-present tension. Mm. I think it's one thing to say, I think it also, it's also sort of both, so so you get at a sort of a policy level and an influencing level. It's also a tension that exists within delivery. So um, so Sustrans is in the business of solution provision. 
Um, we like to provide solutions. We've always been a can-do organisation for the 40 years of our history, um, starting with the Bristol to Bath cycle path, of course. And and the the implementation is rarely, if ever, perfect. Um, solutions are often compromised. Um, local, you know, there are local objections raised. Things aren't quite as nice as you'd like them. Um, but I still think you need to deliver. And um, we can't always let the perfect be the enemy of the good when it comes to delivery. Um, and things change. When the national, the, the early days of the National Cycle Network, the type of infrastructure that Sustrans was building was game changing in this country at the time. Um, and and now you look at some of it, and it's in it's in need of being upgraded and in need of change, and it's no longer leading the way. Um, not all of it by any means. And um, but I think that getting something there and starting to make that change is really important. Describe for me how you see Sustrans meshing in with British Cycling, with Cycling uh, UK, with perhaps other organisations like, as you mentioned there a few seconds ago, with LCC. So where does Sustrans fit into that quite complex jigsaw, from a, from a government point of view, quite a very complex jigsaw of potentially competing organisations? Yeah, so I think that it's not uncommon in sectors to find organizations that on the one hand can, can be seen as competitors but do work together in partnership and you know just speaking about the charity sector you see you see it across different aspects of the charity sector um but i think that we are good at speaking with one voice so um for example one thing that we've done collectively is to write to mps um, ahead of the forthcoming election outlining a clear set of asks that we would like that we would like to see from any future government for walking and cycling and um, it, it was you know it was very quick to agree on those asks sign up to them and collectively with one voice which I think to your point about the complexity to get out there and make that ask because the organizations that are out there they are quite different but they are very similar in in perhaps what they're asking for but the way they're set up is very different as well so do you consider your uh, sustrans to be a business a charity a, a, an organization how do you in your mind where do you see sustrans as a as a as an entity so they are different and of course that they're evolving as well so cycling uk has recently become fairly recently become a charity for example um sustrans is not a membership organization so in that way different to british cycling and cycling uk um i see us very much as solution providers um we've always been in the business of providing solutions whether that's scoping designing building infrastructure as part of the national cycle network whether that's that you know our, our role in bringing PTP into this country, personal travel planning, whether that's now working with communities and engaging communities in designing the space around them to make it easier for for, for people to walk and cycle. So I would see us very much as a solution provider, an influencer for sure. I wouldn't see us in the same campaigning space as LCC, for example, that you mentioned, or even Cycling UK. Um, I don't see us primarily as campaigners. Um, I see us more as solution providers and influencers, um, which I think puts us in a slightly different space. I also mentioned that I think we can bring we, we, we have expertise in infrastructure design, in behavior change and in community engagement. And I think to effect real change, you need to be able to bring all of that to the party. So 
tell me about yourself and your and your cycling lifestyle because I, I saw that in the, the original press release that I was sent when I when I put it onto Bike Biz with you you, you joining the organisation that you had a, a garage full of bikes it says here of various shapes and sizes so what exactly uh, what what sizes and shapes of bikes have you got I got so I've got two tandems mm-hmm. um, one small wheel tandem that my that is easy to ride on with my two girls. My two girls, um, who are nine and um, six, both have bikes um, and uh, love cycling their bikes. Um, I've got a couple of road bikes, a commuting bike. My wife um, has got a couple of bikes. She's German, so riding a bike for her is completely natural. And um, of course, you ride a bike everywhere. Um, she walks the dog with her bike every morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Getting get, it tends to, which tends to elicit either either oh what a great idea or pure Surrey outrage. Given mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Um, and then I've also got a Brompton, of course, um, mm. and I, I use my Brompton pretty much on it on an almost daily basis, given that I commute down here to Bristol a fairly um, most weeks. Hmm. So that's a good point, actually. You're, so you're in London, so you're 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 seeing at first hand the transformation of of London. Yeah, I'm actually outside London, so um, I live I live outside London, um, close to NCM Route Four, um, so out on the Surrey Berkshire borders. And I, um, I commute, but I, I work in both London and Bristol and around because, of course, Sustrans is we, we're across the UK. So we've got offices across all the regions, well, all the nations of, um, of the UK and, and, and the regions within England. Only last week I was in Belfast for a board meeting, seeing what seeing the good work we're doing in Belfast there, increasing the Greenway network um, and working with workplaces and schools in Belfast and, um, and, and around Northern Ireland. What are the plans for the 40th birthday? this year fairly low-key um given that that we celebrated the 20th anniversary of the ncn very recently um so we're keeping the 40th anniversary fairly low-key so um we'll be branding things with the 40th and we'll be holding a few events but pretty low-key oh okay that's kind of a shame in some ways because it's the history of that is quite apart from the national cycle network so that was Yes, that's 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 true, Carlton. You, you could you could say that. I mean, I think that I, I think that's, that that we have big celebrations the National Cycle Network, and we will certainly be celebrating our heritage and what we've achieved to date, which is huge. Um, you know, I was speaking to Jeanette Sadiq Khan um, the, uh, at, at, at a recent conference, and she she in fact in her in her talk spoke about what what work Sustrans had done to really start normalising what is now more normal around street design and recognising that streets need to be for people. So that's the legacy you think of Sustrans so far. That's a good question. I think I think the legacy for Sustrans is um, th- th- there's a number of things. I think the most obvious and physical legacy is the National Cycle Network, um, which I'll come back to in a second. I think also um, mainstreaming within within the UK um, things that at the time were far from mainstream. So personal travel planning, for example, um, the idea of streets being streets being for people. So yes, I'd agree with that. Um, and and just just helping make cycling and walking normal, and um, I think you know, I think Sustrans was 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 ahead of the curve in that sense, in terms of making the case for sustainable travel in in its broadest sense. And do you think we're ever going to get to Dutch levels of cycling as a nation? Mm. Um, yes, I think it's possible. 
Absolutely. Um, I think it will take time, but I think it's I think it's possible. I think that 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 certainly if you look at if you look at somewhere like Germany, which in many ways is more similar to the UK than than Holland, um, Germany has you know is is one of the most car centric. Um, places in Europe. Um, it has the heart of the European motor industry there, um, a long heritage of car use, unrestricted autobahns, and yet getting around by bike is perfectly normal. And um, and they're just like in, in in Holland or Denmark. There are groups looking to looking to get 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 more cycling, but it's still that th- they're ahead of where we are. But I don't see why we can't why we can't get to that point with political leadership, with funding, and with good ideas. And to deliver that requires requires not just politicians, it also requires people to want change and it requires organisations like ours that are pushing for that change and providing the solutions to make it happen. You need to, I mean, a large part of my thinking behind what we did in London, what I was advocating in London was, was showing visible, visible demand mm-hmm. and just building phalanxes of cyclists which is what the first generation of cycle superhighways did, mm-hmm. concentrating flows. But it's a large part of building the case for change, I think. Mm, yeah, good point. I actually make that point in the book. I talk about how, you know, we, we do see a lot of the you know, these wonderful videos of the high cycle use in London, but how much of this is actually concentrated use in that people are being almost forced to go down those routes because they want to go down those routes, of course, but it's the, the fact that they the traffic, the actual amounts might not have changed that much, but they're now oh, concentrated yeah. in certain yeah. routes. So they've been much more both. diffuse previously. No, I think it's both. Mm. I'm pretty, I, I think I believe the evidence points to both. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I believe so, but but um, but yeah, but certainly you still got you know you still got much higher levels of cycling in central London than you have in outer London, for example. Mm. Mm. Where arguably, you know, the, the benefit of cycling could be so much greater because you've got such diffuse trip patterns. Mm. But you're right. You, you, the, the very fact you see Blackfriars Bridge is just like, well, why would you not cater for that clear demand? You can't ignore that. It's also part of normalising it. Mm. It's that whole thing where, you know, pe- people feel comfortable when they see lots of other people doing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I think I think there's definite benefit in doing that. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah, we didn't talk about the NCN. Oh, what would you like to talk about the NCN? I would like to talk about the NCN. Yeah. Um, so we, um, I want I want a review of the National Cycle Network, looking at the whole thing, um, in order to to because I think it needs a needs a development plan. Um, for me, the bit the bits of the NCN that are special are the traffic free sections, um, and. And it's by no means the majority of the NCN, but my aspiration, and it's an aspiration, would be to move towards a traffic-free NCN. Mm-hmm. What, what is it has, at the moment? Is it like a third? Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah, it's, 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 it's around a third traffic-free, which is a combination of shared use and sort of more Greenway-style traffic-free routes. Um, but it's, it's around a third. Now, you know, some of the, some of the two-thirds that isn't traffic-free will be very remote rural routes in um, in Scotland, say, um, where arguably you know there's there's no need to make that traffic free. But I think that 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 there's there's huge benefit in the traffic free parts in terms of attracting a new generation and people who don't usually cycle or consider themselves cyclists um, having somewhere that is that is perceived as safe and as easy to cycle with a family. 
a huge bugbear that I hear from lots of people. Mm. Uh, it doesn't affect me anymore, although it once did when I was carrying a, a children in the back with, with a trailer on the back, yeah. was the motorcycle-style barriers, which, which local authorities uh, put in place to stop motorbikes, normally young guys on motorbikes screaming up and down the National Cycle Network. But that stops people with, with as you'd say, with your, your tandems. Just anything that's slightly out of the ordinary, uh, bicycle shape, uh, becomes very difficult to use the National Cycle Network. So what can you do about that, given that it's probably local authorities who are actually installing these things? Yeah, it's a really interesting point. And of course, it's it's not just tandems and cycle trailers. It's also um, it's also cycles with more than two wheels um, used by people who otherwise wouldn't be able to use a bike, for example. So, um, and there are wider accessibility points around mobility scooters too. So, it's something we're certainly aware of. Um, interestingly, we we actually opened up the our, our own barriers on the I think on the Fallowfield Loop. Um, in Manchester to enable to enable greater access and we haven't had any problems with that um, so some of it's, it's it's about educating local authorities and showing you know understanding the risk and um, and and showing that actually there's, there's greater benefit than disbenefit in opening up in opening up these routes so that's one of the things that that that's, as I say is the bugbear that people say oh Sustrans do this but in fact it's not you doing it if if it was in, up to you you wouldn't do it but it's local authorities who are you're, you're beholden to in many, many cases. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of the challenges, of course, of partnership working, isn't it? I mean, I think to, to get things done, you need to work in partnership with others, and that will lead to compromise. Um, but over over time, it's it's definitely the way to get things done. Um, you know, it's uh, there are there are occasions where we own land where we're able to do to to do what we want to a certain degree. But most of the time, you're absolutely right. We're custodians of the national cycle network and be working with others, which is why the review of the national cycle network will will need will will, will has to be done with those stakeholders as part of it. That was Xavier Bryce, the CEO of Sustrand. We'll now cut to a commercial break with David. Hey, Carlton, thanks so much. And it's it's always my pleasure to talk about our advertiser. This is a long-time loyal advertiser. We're glad to have them back again, of course, in 2017. You all know who I'm talking about. It's Jensen USA at jensenusa.com slash the spokesman. I've been telling you for years now, years, that Jensen is the place where you can get a great selection of every kind of product that you need for your cycling lifestyle at amazing prices. And what really sets them apart, because of course there's lots of online retailers out there, but what really sets them apart is their unbelievable support. When you call and you've got a question about something, you'll end up talking to one of their gear advisors. And these are cyclists. I've been there. I've seen it. These folks, this is something we'll talk about in today's show, but these are folks who, who ride their bikes to and from work. These are folks who ride at lunch, who go out on group rides after work because they just enjoy cycling so much. Uh, and, and so you know that when you call, you'll be talking to somebody who has knowledge of the products that you're calling about. Now, talking about great deals, it is time for Jensen USA's annual bike sale, their 2017 annual bike sale. If if you're looking for a new bike, whether it's a mountain bike, a road bike, a gravel bike, a fat bike, what are you looking for? Because now it's spring and the sun is shining and the birds are chirping and it's time to get back out on your bike. Check out Jensen USA's annual 
bike sale and you will not be disappointed. They always have great deals on complete bikes. I mean, I'll just give you an example. I'm looking at their website. A 2016 Orbea Occam TRM30, normally $3,999, now just $2,699. What are you waiting for? It's a great bike from a great brand at a great price. Go ahead and check them out. Jensen USA, they are the place where you will find everything you need for your cycling lifestyle. It's jensenusa.com slash the spokesman. We thank them so much for their support, and we thank you for supporting Jensen USA. All right, Carlton, let's get back to the show. Thanks, David. In this second half of the show, I'd like to introduce Dominic Geyer, head of brand for Specialized Turbo E-Bike Mark. Specialized as most of its R&D work in Morgan Hill, California. But the e-bike work is done in Switzerland, headed up by Dom, who I met in Dusseldorf at Specialized's first ever pop-up store. It's in town for the Tour de France Grand Depart in July, but the company thought it would first capitalize on the amazing popularity of e-bikes in Germany by majoring on the new Vado line of urban electric bikes and speed pedelecs. I got back from Dusseldorf earlier today, having ridden the Vardo for a few days, including a 35-mile ride yesterday with Val Vanderpool of Bicycle Retailer and James Nixon, one of the specialised PR crew. However, before that, I talked to Dom in the Retool Fit Studio, which is part of the pop-up store. So Dom, we're here in Dusseldorf, but you're not from Dusseldorf, specialised uh, turbo e-bike division is in Switzerland. Exactly, so our main R&D center for all of our specialized turbo e-bikes is located in a city called Cham, which is in between Zurich and Luzern. And yeah, this is the place where the majority of the team sits, though in total we're a team of 19 people spread across three continents, Asia, USA, and yeah, Europe. So how many people are in Switzerland? How many is that? We are in specific? the R&D department working on turbo bikes. It's 11 people. But then on top for sure we uh, include inside sales, outside sales, uh, logistics team which is based on the first floor also in the same location. So we're here in a pop-up, specialized first pop-up store in Dusseldorf which is here for the Tour de France in July. However, you're using the store as a kickoff event for the Vardo, the Turbo Vardo, your new, your new e-bike. So tell us a little bit about that e-bike. Yeah, so first off, when we, when we had the chance with the specialized pop-up store here in Dusseldorf, we, we pretty soon came to the point, hey, we also need to use this to introduce our new uh, Turbo Urban Commuter Bike, the Turbo Vardo, to launch it here since Dusseldorf, it's in the center of Germany where there's a huge e-bike boom, e-bikes are super popular, and this pop-up store allows us to create an environment where we can really showcase not only our new Turbo Vado, but also what Specialized Turbo stands for. And yeah, we're super excited having this pop-up store transformed into a Turbo Experience Center for the time prior to the kick-off, the start of the Tour de France. Because in Germany, it's like 690,000 e-bikes sold a year, they're very expensive, these bikes. So the e-bike is rescuing the, the, the bike category. Many bike manufacturers are now relying on e-bikes. Yeah, ab absolutely. I mean, generally the business growth of the e-bike category is huge, 
But yeah, um, the biggest amount of sales in e-bike within Europe is right now happening in Germany. Mm -hmm. And yeah, consequently you see more and more brands also bringing out more and more uh, pedal assist supported bikes, I'd say. So you have the, the bikes for going off-road, so you've got the e-mountain bikes. And this is now something that's very much aimed at fast urban commuting. So you have the pedal assist range, which is the standard, what we call pedelec, a standard e-bike. And then at the top of the range, you can tell us the prices in a minute, you've got the, what's very common in, in America, certainly isn't that common in the rest of Europe, is the speed pedelec. So these are the faster, more powerful bikes which you need to have, you need to register it, so you've got number plates on, you have to have a helmet on, you have to have, you have to tax and insure it. A little bit more rules go along yeah. with the s pedelec class bikes, that's correct. So that, is that a big category in Germany, the speed pedelec category? So specifically speaking about Germany, uh, the majority of the business happens in the pedelec category. So for e-bikes supporting up to 25 kilometers per hour, and only a small part of the business is um, around the S-Pedelec class bikes. Because the way you're, you're pitching the Vado and all the advertising mm -hmm. I've seen, the, the, the TV and the, the stuff that we can, we can look at on YouTube, no doubt, are talking about almost using a bicycle as a, a car substitute for doing relatively long journeys. So like, you know, 10 kilometers, which are long journeys in yep. bicycle terms. Totally. So 10, maybe 20 kilometers. And these are not being pitched at an older generation, which is maybe the first iterations of, of e-bikes were older people. Yep. There was the target market. These are young urban professionals you're now pitching at this. with. A, these are not uh, comfort e-bikes. These are yep. sporty e-bikes. Yes, yeah, so the Turbo Vado is uh, designed for... Uh, urban style riding, commuting, leisure and transportation and for sure fitness. So what we see with the Turbo Vado is, you know, life is moving fast so you really want to navigate at the speed that matches. We have a lot of meetings throughout the day. In a city environment you need to go from A to B to C and it takes you a long time if you go by car through the traffic jam etc. And that bike just uh, it's designed for helping you to navigate on the needed speed through your day. And I mean, we're here in Dusseldorf, we're, we were commuting to, to the pop-up store this morning together, right? And we were just so much faster than if we would have chosen our car for this 10 kilometers commute, because you are able with those bikes to pass by the, the cars, uh, but still in the morning, if you go to work, for instance, you, you don't want to arrive there completely sweaty uh, that you first need to change all your clothes. So in the morning you can uh, choose a higher assist on your pedal assist bike, get to work fast but without sweating too much. And on the way home uh, you can, you can um, choose a lower assistance of the bike, have a very decent sweat, you have done your fitness and you're home and you have time for your family and don't think about oh I still want to do sports or something. You can pack more into your day. So this is audio we're doing here now. So people who are listening to this, give them a picture, paint, paint a, a picture of the, the Vado bike and what it looks like and, and the technologies that make it look like that. 
So we at Specialized, all of our turbo bikes are designed to be a bike first that happens to be paddle assist. So in terms of design, this means this bike looks like a real bike. It doesn't have a bolt-on battery. The battery is seamlessly integrated into the frame, though for the user, because it's important for the user, still removable and even lockable because in the uh, urban environment, you, you don't want to have the risk of having the bike outside and the battery can be stolen. Then the seamless integrated battery moves along with a seamlessly integrated bottom bracket system motor. The motor is hidden by motor covers. Um, and then also if you look at the, at the handlebar, other, other traditional e-bikes out there, they, they have big screens on, on the handlebar. Our handlebar is pretty clean, the most possible, though we have a 2.2 inch um, display, either an LCD version or a TFT version display on there for the rider to see the current state of ride, the battery percent, maps if you want to have navigation but in a very minimalistic and a maximum integrated way. And so when you're saying integrated, this is very much um, specialized. We're not, we're not talking about you going to, to Bosch and getting a motor. You're not going to um, one of the big uh, electronics firms. Yeah. Everything is kind of specialized yeah. on, on the bike. So for the Turbo Baro and all of our Turbo Bike, they are all built about the mantra of it's you only faster. What this means is for us really the rider and the individual experiences in the center. So we really look into what the rider wants, needs for that experience and build the bike and its technology based around that. So we really customize the technology, our Turbo technology accordingly to the rider's needs. And that's why we built our completely own ecosystem in regards to frame, motor, battery, um, software, rather than taking any off the shelf and having a taken uh, system and building the bike around this taken system. Why we don't do this? Because we don't want to compromise. We want to build the ultimate bike we think this rider needs and don't want to compromise because of given standards. Rather, we do our own and achieve the ultimate result. It's, it often takes extra miles, but at the end, um, we want to build the ultimate bike for the rider that he doesn't have to have any compromises in regards to handling, uh, cornering, the design of the bike. You're saying he there, but you have got women-specific models in, in these e-bikes. So you had to, you were telling us in the, in the presentation, the challenges you faced with doing a low step over height uh, sporty uh, e-bike in that the, the battery can't come out quite yeah. so easily. So you've had to do some quite innovative things there to just fit the battery in to get it out at that 45 degree angle. Exactly. So with the Turbo Vado for the first time we also have women specific step through frames which allows to enter the bike easier. You have a better standover. So we know we, we need to have a woman-specific step-through frame. At the same time, we know the rider wants the battery needs to be integrated, but the battery needs to be taken out because if you live downtown in the 12th floor, you don't want to carry your bike upstairs every day to charge the battery. And this brought us to the point so far, all batteries in the market are bolted on on the upper side of the down tube. And to remove it, you have to lift it up. 
And there's the correlation with the step-through frame. So we needed to go all new ways on how can a battery be removed. And yeah, to, to get a low step-through frame, we knew we need to remove the battery to the side. And our turbo battery removed the battery, like you said, in a 45-degree angle to the left-hand side. But this brought along A on the frame construction side, um, a huge task because you have to build a, a stable, you have to manufacture a stable frame with a huge cutout and also on the side walls with a cutout. And on the other hand, you needed to develop a mechanism that actually allows removing it and that it goes easily in and out because it needs to be intuitive. You, you don't want to take, need like five minutes to somehow get the battery in or out. And on top of all of that, the battery needed to be lockable. So we also needed to integrate a lock mechanism in this uh, 45 degree angle mechanism on top of it. So a lot of challenges, but it all comes down to, we at Specialized, we always start with who's the rider and what does this rider need. And once we have clarified that with market research and everything, we, we put together a product brief and the product brief basically consists what the bike needs to be and what it needs to do. And that's, for instance, one example. It was clear, it needs to be integrated, removable. We need woman-specific step-through frames and it needs to be lockable. And then the engineers had a task ahead of them to, to make this somehow possible. And it even went all the way to finding the vendors uh, using special machines to even be able to produce such a down tube with which is like the biggest hole uh, in the down tube ever at Specialized um, we, we've manufactured. So it's a huge engineering task which happened there. We could do with that. Is that the music just out there? So, shall I ask him a quick thing? If you wouldn't mind, yeah, that is, that is really loud. So we were riding the bike, we were riding the bike uh, yesterday as well, so we had a good, uh, good ride and riding it tomorrow, in fact, so we'll have an even longer ride. So the technologies on there, they're all very exciting, they're all hidden away and there's nice belt drives doing the mode, all very clever, clever stuff and the, the cells, as you're telling us, was like in the batteries are very clever, the way they charge and discharge and they're all separate. All very exciting, yet I'm almost most excited about the fenders. About the mud guards, <laughs> yeah. which are pretty much low-tech items on this this bicycle, yet you put an awful lot of effort into this low-tech item. So tell us what's so special about the Vardo fenders, the Vardo mud guards. So our our tri-tech fenders, our specialized tri-tech fenders, we really uh, developed along with the Turbo Vardo because uh, it's it's a commuter bike. It's a bike for people commuting all day long, also in rainy conditions all year long. So we, we knew in the past fenders, yeah, some work better, some work less good, but it, it often was a compromise between how they look and how they function. And we were like, we're now, we're doing a development from scratch. We, we really looked into every individual part and the fender is a key part of it because if you're actually riding on a rainy fall morning, you have your feet wet immediately, your face is wet, and this is a big concern to the rider. So we really went some extra miles in the development of the fenders at our tri-tech fenders. 
we even took into our wind tunnel, which is at the headquarters back in Morgan Hill. We, we put the bike in there, simulated real riding conditions to really understand how's the water flow. So what's the water doing? Is it, is it carried by the tire all the way up before it sprays into your face? Oh, but what we found out is actually that a lot of the water is getting from the tire on, into the, on the inside of the fender. Is get, it, then it's getting through gravitation all the way up to the front end of the fender. And then it lefts the fender and spreads you in the face. And we don't like that. So after having found that result, it was clear like, what can we do that the water doesn't get from the fender out into the riding wind? And what we came up with is what we call CTEC. So it's basically a special channel at the top in the front of the fender, which tries, which directs the water to the left and right, uh, right hand side. So the water drops down on the side rather than hitting, going out in the wind and hitting you in the face. And the other key area besides the face is your legs, your foot. They are, they get wet pretty soon. And what we did in the wind tunnel, we really checked different lengths of the fender sets to ultimately see what is the right length that your feet is not getting wet. And this is long, this is very long, which brings us to the topic, it's commuter bike, you're, you're, hitting, you're hitting obstacles on your way in the, in the city, like you're, you're driving over um, curbs, curbs. Yeah. That's, the, that's the name. You're, you're riding over curbs and with a long fender, you hit the curb and you might crash, right? So what we came up with for that is a solution called flex tender technology. It's, you imagine like a long uh, flap, but the flap is out of a special multi-mix uh, compound, plastic compound, which is stiff enough that, it, that the uh, flex tender doesn't shake because then you still get all the, the water on your, on your food, right? But it's, diff, uh, it's soft enough in case you're hitting a curb to flex back to pretend that you're crashing. So, so this, all of the, the, the items on the bike, so you've got the, the very long fenders, uh, you've got the, the, the speed of the bike, it's propelling you, uh, uh, shouldn't say it's propelling you, I shouldn't say that at all. It's assisting you at your propulsion. Yeah. And then you have integrated lights and you have the electronics. So this is very comfortable for a car driver. This has got all the items that a car driver just would assume. You don't, you don't go into a, buy a brand new car and, and you say, right, you've got to fit fenders and lights. These are the things <laughs> that just come with a car. With, yeah standard equipment you've got to have these things to be able to drive so this is now a bicycle with all of these items on so it's just it's just a comfortable purchase for a car purchaser do you see that as a big part of the market actually electric bikes can get people out of cars so ultimately for sure um we we are a bicycle company we love bikes and we love to get as many people on bikes as possible um, to your specific question, in a city environment, a bike like a Turbovado really brings a lot of benefits to the, the people out there who are basically using today their cars to commute to work. 
just because so far the bicycle might have been a barrier for them because of it's you know it's too much fitness involved especially in the morning I need to I need to be fast um, but I don't want to sweat uh, I want to stay dry and I want to be safe and those are all areas of concern but with the turbovado with the package you just described we're really addressing all those concerns those kind of users had so far in regards to choosing a bike over a car and we address those and through that for sure put the turbovado as a serious consideration for them and yes for sure we would love to see uh, a lot of them utilizing the turbovado for a lot of their yeah, their commutes, their leisure time. Um, so the photography that, that goes with the, the, the launch, are people in suits, people in casual clothing? You know, this is a non-spandex non zone, this bike, because you don't have to sweat. You will get there quicker without having to do that exertion. Yes, but, but still you can, you can have that. So part of the imagery, yeah, is, is, is a man with a suit. But also, on the other hand, you can also see really a sportive person on there. Because in the sportive side, the Turbovado also helps you tremendously because it allows you like to come back to the initial tagline of the bike. Um, busy lives call for faster bikes. Very often, you, you have so much on your calendar. Like you have on the Sunday, you have two and a half hours in between lunch with the family and your parents showing up for coffee. So you have those two and a half hours. And with the Turbovado, it allows you to go farther and further in those two, given two and a half hours. You see more places. It just expands the range of where you can go in that given time. And therefore, you have the same amount of a fitness ride, but you see more. So also for those kind of riders, the Turbovado allows so much more. You go farther, faster, and also to places you have never been before out of several reasons. So I'm, I'm riding along and at times I'm using the handlebar uh, trigger to tell the machine, tell the bicycle to don't give me so much power at the moment. So put it onto you know, eco mode and then sometimes actually take it off altogether and just it's just me that's pedaling. So this is maybe, maybe me coming home rather than going to work. I seem to get some sort of placebo effect where even, even though I'd taken it off uh, the assist, I still felt as though it was giving me an assist even though it wasn't. But I'm assuming that just means it's actually riding like a bike. It's not riding like a motorbike where you're getting the, you're getting the, like the, the push. Yeah. It's a bicycle and then just sometimes you're getting a tailwind in effect. Exactly, that's, that's exactly. This bike, it's you only faster. Really, the ride is in the center of all we do for our turbo bikes. The bike must ride like your normal fitness commuter bike. Just yeah, you have superhuman legs on, on board. So our turbo motor, we really looked very closely into finding the best motor for, for this bike, which delivers you a seamless, smooth, very quiet, natural ride feeling. So our turbo motor is belt-driven to ultimately allow us that. On top, it has no clutch engagement, which also allows you to ride 
easily like on your normal bike if you're above top speed like above the 25 kilometers per hour you're not working against the motor out of a sudden like you do on other system the motor takes it out takes himself out and you're riding on your normal bike and this brings me back to the tremendous work we do in really identifying the right geometry of the bike so this is really where we start off we, we analyze the rider, then we know this is the geometry. The rider needs to feel comfortable to have a stable yet nimble riding feeling, great handling, and then start building the turbo technology accordingly into it. So imagine in 20 years time, and we had this conversation <laughs> last night, so yeah, I guess you know where I'm gonna go with this. So in, in 20 years time, because these e-bikes are the most profitable part of the bike industry at the moment, and this is what happened in the early 1900s with, with motorbikes and automobiles became the most profitable parts of these bicycle businesses and then the bicycles were forgotten and all of these companies that we now know today as car companies, and even though they started as bike companies, we forget their bike history. So imagine in 20 years time, will Specialized still be making these, these ancient technology where you actually pedal these things with your legs why would you do that we've got a motor for doing this so where is specialized going with this do you think in 20 years time so you know specialized has a long history with bicycles we do tremendous high performance mountain bike road bike fitness bikes and now with, with our turbo category we're we're doing the same just with additional motor power but still it's in the center it's a bike first that just happens to happen pedal assist support so in 20 years from now perhaps almost all bicycle has some kind of assist on board but that doesn't mean that it's kind of a motor assist as we know it as of today because technology is going to develop what is for sure specialized is a bicycle company that cares about the rider and whatever the rider wants, the rider's in the center of all we do and whatever he wants, we want to deliver the best. That's a very diplomatic answer. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I do apologize for throwing that at you. That, that's an incredibly tough question for you to, to, to have to answer. Um, give us, if you can, a, a, a short pricey of the bikes in the range and how much they cost. And also, if you can, differentiate the differences between what the American market is going to get and what the European market is going to get. So keep the pricing in euros because I know that's, yep. that's what you're familiar with yep. but I do like to need, know the, the differences between the US bikes and the, yep. the Euro bikes. So our Turbo Vado line consists out of five models. It starts with a 2.0, 3.0, which are Pedelec versions, so 25 kpg bikes over in Europe. Um, and then the Vado 5.0 and 6.0 are the fast class bikes uh, as pedelecs, yeah. exactly, yeah. supporting you up to 45 k's per hour. Those bikes are uh, built and certificated against the all new L1EB law and therefore comes for instance with a horn so those bikes really have a horn integrated into the bike seamlessly and it has Read switch that um, the rear light shows up when you touch the brakes. Brake, brake lights, yeah. Exactly. So, talking about the fast class bikes, the Vado 
which is a rigid fork model, comes with a premium 604 watt hour battery, our speed pedal like turbo motor, uh, retails in Euro at 4199 And then the Vado 6.0 is building up on the same uh, components but features a suspension fork instead of a rigid fork in front and retails at 4399 And the differences between them in, in the US versus Euro, European market? As in the, the pricing? No, the, the, the laws. I mean, you, okay. you mentioned yeah. the LE1B yeah. law. That, that's not an American law, that's an, that's an EU law. Yeah. So the American consumer will be able to buy any of these bikes, basically, and not worry about registration. Exactly, exactly. So the European customer gets, along with the Vado 5.0 and 6.0, a certificate of conformity, which he needs to handle in to register the bike and to get a license plate and he needs to have insurance. Whereas the Pedelec class, the 25 kpg bikes, uh, our entry-level model is the Vado 2.0. It comes basically naked without rack, fenders and lights and retails at uh, 2,799. So this is really the bike for the ones who, who ride it like a cross-rail kind of bike. You want to go a little bit off-road, but still don't want to have a hardtail. So this is kind of the mix in between. I sometimes use it on the street, but also off-road. Then the Vado 3.0 is the first model that comes completely equipped with our Tri-Tech fenders, our rack, our specialized specific custom e-bike lights, and retails at 2,999. And these are available, most of these are available, not the speed pedelecs, but most of them are available in the market as of now. Yes, so as of now in Europe, the Vado 3.0 and 4.0 just got to our retailers. The same will be in the US. They will get the Vado 3.0 in course of this month. The Vado 2.0 will hit retail next month in June. And the Vado 5.0 and 6.0 will follow at some point this summer after uh, we are final with their certification of those bikes. And where can people learn about this? Is there a, a Vado specific part of the specialized website? So yeah, uh, the, uh, the riders can go on our website specialized.com and look up under Turbo. Turbo uh, stands for e-bikes at Specialized. And under Turbo, there's the product landing page where they can learn all about our Turbo Vado lineup, uh, look into the specs in detail, but can also see, also get more details on our Turbo Mountain uh, lineup with the Turbo Levo FSR and the Turbo Hardtails. You find all the information on Specialized.com. Thanks to Dominic Geyer there. And this has been the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. Show notes and more can be found at the-spokesman.com. Let us know what you think of the show via a review on iTunes or add a comment to the blog. Thanks, as always, for listening to the show and, of course, for subscribing. The next Roundtable show will be in a couple of weeks, but I aim to upload another special episode before then. It's a good one, so make sure you're subscribed so it downloads automatically to your machine or mobile device. Meanwhile, get out there and ride.